All right, hey, it's so fun to be with you tonight and today at the Father's House, Orange County. Welcome. You guys can grab a seat. And uh, man, I just, I, I just, I love this. I we're this is the second week that we get to be in our new home. How fun is that? And if you haven't heard, we've got a new building, and so we're just excited to be here in our new home. And, and this is, I, I'm just excited for this week. And if you're just joining in, uh, we're in a new series. Uh, this is the second week in the new series called Make It Rain. God is going to provide. Amen? Amen. And so I just want to give, as we're kind of you know, talking about this, I just want to give a special shout out to those that are watching uh, from our online campus, those that are watching online, man, all over the globe. It's just exciting to see what God is doing all over the planet. And so Ellie and Nadine from the UK, we see you. Uh, Morgan and uh, uh, Caitlin from New Jersey, we see you. Ameka from New York, we see you. Cece from Nashville, we see you. Samantha from Texas, we see you. Uh, we love that you guys are part of this family. And here's Here's kind of this crazy thing. I don't know, you know, in the season, a lot of people are kind of, you know, is online really church, right? Is it, is it really like a campus? Is it really, uh, is it really something that people are, it's a church and people are getting connected in community. And one of the things we're just kind of, as we're thinking about this, I want to tell you that the online campus is blowing up. It's kind of, it's, yeah, it's amazing. And it's kind of like the underdog story. Like nobody thought that uh, church could really happen online until COVID hit. And now we've got people from all over the globe that are leading community groups. Uh, they're leading, they have a launch team and it's just amazing. And if you want to be a part of it, uh, we'd love for you to be a part of stepping into being a part of that team. If you don't live in Southern California, we'd love for you to join that team and just see what God has for you in that. And, you know, thinking about uh, the underdog story, I love the online campus as an underdog story, but I love underdog stories. I don't know about you. I, I just, I love picking the underdog. And, uh, you know, in fact, I remember this story uh, when I was in youth ministry and high school ministry, and I had this group of guys, and these guys were like the best athletes, top athletes at all their sports, and they were just, you know, they're kind of, they were total meatheads, right? I mean, they're just, they were just, you know, they thought they were the best at everything. And so we went to the park, and we decided that we we're going to have this amazing flag football game. And of course, the girls wanted to play, but the guys didn't want to have the girls on the team. And so they're like, you know what, uh, they're going to get hurt, and they can't play, and they can't do this. And all these guys are going, you know what, we just want to play against, you know, guys against guys. And I said this to these guys. I said, what if all the guys, you guys go on your team, and I'll take all the girls, and we'll play, and we'll see who wins. And you know what? Greatest underdog story. You know who won? Matt and the girls won, amen, amen, amen. And not only did we just win, we destroyed them. I mean, it was like seven touchdowns to one. I mean, we completely destroyed them. And, you know, I just love a good underdog story. And if you think about the underdog story, I think the reason why we love it is that, you know, you can't, uh, it's just hard to anticipate that somebody that, you know, a team on paper or a person on paper going up against crazy odds just doesn't have a chance and somehow they win. And you think of stories like the Bad News Bears, you think of the Mighty Ducks, you think of the Davids against the Goliaths, and, and you just go then, we just, we love cheering for the underdog. And I started thinking the other day, like, you know, how does this happen? How does, how does this really happen? Like, how does, you know, how does the underdog win? And I really kind of came to this conclusion. I said, they have to have two things to win, okay? They have to have two things. The first thing is that they have to believe that it's possible. They have to believe that from nothing or when there's not a chance that there's something that's possible. They have to have hope for the future. They have to have hope for that victory. And the second thing they need is that they have to desire the outcome. Whatever the outcome is, if it's just a win or if it's a Super Bowl trophy, they have to desire the outcome. 
And really, if you think about these two things, one, when you believe, that has to do with your mind. So you have to believe in your mind that you actually, that this is actually possible. And then with your heart, your desire comes from your heart, and your heart is what drives you. You have to want it to make this happen. And and I love this story of just kind of the underdog, and I believe these two things are critical, and we love that story because it's against all odds that these teams and these people step into this amazing thing that we never thought was possible. And I want to share with you, I want to talk about today, probably I think one of the best underdog stories in all of Scripture. And so we're going to be in 1 Kings 18. And so if you have your Bibles, your notepads, just go ahead, or notebooks, pens, all that kind of stuff, highlighters, um, just go ahead and open it up. We're going to be in 1 Kings 18. Now, last week, you know, we learned a little bit about one of the characters in 1 Kings 18, a guy named Elijah. And Elijah is a prophet. Now, what is a prophet? A prophet is somebody who hears God's voice, and he communicates to God's people, oftentimes in very, very difficult situations. But what I want to do is I want to kind of look at some of the other characters in this passage. And Elijah, Elijah's kind of like the Rudy of the Old Testament. If you know that movie, Rudy, uh, he's kind of like, you know, he's like Rocky Balboa against Drago, the, the Russian fighter. You know, he's kind of this guy that's an underdog. He doesn't look the best. He's kind of a little rugged and ragtag. And, and, and he's kind of this guy that's going to go up against some incredible odds. And so one of the guys in this passage in 1 Kings 18 is a guy named King Ahab. Now, we learn a little bit about King Ahab, and I think it's important that we need to understand who he is and what he's about, because the context that all of this takes place in is so important. We've talked about rain coming and rain falling down. We've talked about the cloud. We've talked about all those things, but context is really important. And so we learn a couple of chapters before that. You don't have to go there. You can mark it in there. First Kings 16, we learn a little bit about King Ahab, and I'll just read a little bit. It says this, he did more to arouse the anger of the Lord the God of Israel, than all the kings in Israel before him. So this guy is like the worst. I mean, he's not a nice guy. He doesn't do nice things. He doesn't honor God. He does things that are intentionally dishonors God. And not only that, he's leading God's people into uh, worshiping other idols and into things that are just not good for them. And their, their lifestyle and their hearts and their minds are starting to waver and they find themselves in a difficult situation. And not only that, he marries this woman named Jezebel. And Jezebel is like, you know, like you, like guys stay away from the Jezebel. Like she's like borderline prostitute. Uh, She's kind of, you know, she's just kind of a little crazy. And what she does is she brings in her religion that they worship the God of Baal and they bring him in and she brings in all her prophets and they set up all these worship centers where they can worship the God of Baal. And so this happens, and what happens is, man, King Ahab leads God's people where their hearts begin to be corrupted, their hearts begin to be perverted, and they start to think different, their lifestyles are different, their hearts are different, and they find themselves in a difficult situation. Now, in 1 Kings 17, what happens is, because of King Ahab's behavior, because of his choices, this is where Elijah tells him there's going to be a drought. And he says this, he says, uh, he tells Ahab, there's going to be no rain until God says so. And so this happens. So there's going to be a drought in this land. And what happens is Elijah, and here's, I mean, I just, I, don't you guys love these stories? Because I, I, I promise you, I'm not waking this up. This is really in the Bible. This is amazing. It's like coming alive in this story. And, and so, you know, for three years, he goes on the run, he hides. And, and what King Ahab and Jezebel believe is they believe this, that if they can find Elijah and they can kill him, then the curse of the drought will end. And so they send all of their prophets on this search, and they go and find all of God's prophets, all of God's people, or not people, uh, prophets, and they kill them. We're at the point where Elijah is the only one left. He's the only one. 
so the odds are completely stacked against him. It's, it's 850 of the prophets of Baal, and you've got Elijah, the crazy old guy. I mean, it's like, I mean, you couldn't, you, this is like the ultimate underdog story. And here's what happens. It's finally, after three and a half years, Elijah shows up and he's ready for this great showdown. He's going to go up against Ahab and he's going to go up against Jezebel. And here we go. First Kings 18, 17 through 19. I mean, it's, this is it. This is, they're getting ready. They're going to go into this showdown right here. So Elijah appears to Ahab. And when he saw Elijah, that's Ahab, uh, said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? And so right away, Ahab goes, hey, you're the guy that's caused all this trouble for this country. You're the guy that's caused all this damage to this people. And look what Elijah says. He goes, I haven't made trouble for Israel, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and you have followed the Baals. Now summon the people. Now don't glaze over 19. We're going to come back to that, underline it, highlight it. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So 850 prophets. Now, if you remember the story about the underdog, what makes a great underdog? They have to believe that something is possible and they have to have the desire to see the outcome. And so what happens here is this is kind of, you know, you have to be mentally strong and you have to have your heart, this passion. And so I just think when Elijah, he's been in hiding for like three years and all of a sudden he shows up on the scene and he's got, he's got a little swagger in his step and he's just kind of going, hey, I'm the only one left. And he just has this confidence because he believes in something that nobody else believes. And he can see an outcome that nobody else can see. And so he comes onto the scene and he's like, yeah, you want to take me on? 850 against one. And I don't want you to miss this as they set the scene because they go to Mount Carmel and here's this valley, this whole valley around it. And so like the largest stadium in the world is 150,000 people. And there was roughly uh, a little more than that in all of Israel at the time. So you can imagine all the people gather in this valley, giant like looking like stadium. And he's going to have this amazing confrontation. And so he's, you know, it's just one guy over here and there's 850 of them over there. One against 850. No, there's no way he can win. But I don't want you to miss this, this verse 19. Because Elijah's outcome is not just beating Ahab and Jezebel. His outcome that he desires is in verse 19. Now summon the people from all over Israel. See, Elijah's heart and God's heart is after pursuing the hearts of the people of Israel. And if you don't know this, I want to tell you this right now. I want to tell you this right now. If you don't know this, God is pursuing you. He is pursuing you wherever you are at. You may not know it. You may not feel it. You may not be able to see it. But I want to tell you that God is pursuing you. He's, I mean, listen, listen. This is what he does. He sends his son to die on the cross for you. He does whatever it takes to win your heart. He is going to win you back. It doesn't matter what situation. It doesn't matter what you've done. The situation, it could be COVID. And all of a sudden, God is winning hearts for people. He takes every situation, turns it into good. We wouldn't have an online campus if it wasn't for COVID. God took that and he redeemed it. And people's lives are being changed all across the globe because of that. That's who God is. He will not stop. You can run away. He's not stopping. He is pursuing you. And I want you to see this, that this is about God's heart for his people. The confrontation is there, but this is about God's heart for his people. Now, here's what happens. They get in the situation in the, uh, the, the valley, the Mount Carmel, and everything is just, you know, it's flooded with people. The stadium's full, the, the hillside's full, and there's not a stadium there, but, you know, just kind of that, what it looks like. And it's full to capacity. 
And you can just see the suspense on the people's face. You know, what is he going to do? How is this going to work? How is one guy going to beat 850? And see, they would have known that the, the consequences of this was death because all the other pro- God's prophets were killed. So they're waiting for Elijah to, to face death. They're thinking there's no way he's going to overcome this. And here's what happens. 1 Kings 18, verse 21. This is going to be our key verse for the, for the, for the day. And you can look it up on, on, you know, on the screen or in your Bible, highlight it. Here's what happens. He doesn't turn to his opponent and address his opponent. He doesn't turn to King Ahab. He doesn't turn to Jezebel. He doesn't turn to the prophets. He turns to God's people. And listen to what he says. Elijah went before the people and he said, how long? How long are you going to waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. And the people said nothing. Now, I want to pause right there because that's the question I want you to wrestle with today is how long? How long are you going to waver between two opinions? How long are we going to waver? How long am I going to waver between two opinions? And we take this word, and this word is uh, the Hebrew word for waver, gives us kind of a word picture. And I want you to understand this. It's not, you know, waver, I think, you know, like, it's kind of like, it's not like swaying, right? This, is, this isn't wavering. Okay, this isn't what, what they're talking about. The word that they use, the verb that they use in this passage is a, is a word that's used to disguise, describe somebody who's lame or um, uh, limping or paralyzed or uh, a handicap, and they're struggling to move, and they can't move. They can't move very easily. And oftentimes, it looks like somebody who's kind of on crutches. And so when they're talking about wavering, if you think about this, if you can't, if you can't you know, walk, you're kind of lame, and you have, you're limping, how easy is it for me to get to that side really fast? You know, I mean, like, you're struggling to get to this side. And then he's going over here, and he's going, hey, I want to get over to this side. And this is a struggle. And the picture that Elijah is waiting is, how long are you going to sit in the struggle? How long are you going to waver? Because you're going to try to get this way, and you can't get this way. And you're going to try to get this way, and you can't get that way. And you're going to go, how long are you going to waver? How long are you going to waver? And what's crazy about this situation is that the people were in the midst of the drought. And when you're in a drought, you want rain. And I think of the situation that we're in, and we, want, we're in, we might feel like we're in a drought, and we want rain. But here's the thing. You go back to that question, how long are you going to waver? The rain doesn't come until the people choose. Yeah. Yeah. Let, me, let me say that again. The people had to choose before the rain would fall. See, you can, you, you're, you're wanting God to pour down his blessings and you're sitting in this place that you're wavering and whatever it might be, maybe it's, you know what, I, I, I want Jesus to move, but I was, I was at the club all night over here and I'm here on Sunday and I'm trying to find my way in this whole thing. You know, maybe you're sitting here and you're going, you know what, I, I'm in debt and, you know, I, wanna, I want financial freedom, but I don't want to let go of my credit cards. And so I'm stuck in the wavering. Maybe you're in this situation where you're going, you know what, I want to be comfortable, but God is calling me to do something. And so I want, to, I want a comfortable calling, but I don't even think that exists because you've got to choose between comfort or calling. Which one are you going to choose? And God's going, how long are you going to waver? How long? How, how long are you going to wait and just kind of be on the, on the peripheral of church and wait to take your next step? How long? How long are you just going to watch online and before you take your next step and make this your home? How long? How long are you going to sit there when you have the name of the person that God specifically spoke to you about to share your faith with? How long are you going to sit there and not do it? 
You, you, want your, you want your child to know Jesus, and how long are you going to just you know, walk around and go, I'm not going to have the courage to share Jesus with them? How long? How long are you going to sit in that wavering? And here's the thing. Rain doesn't come until you make a choice. Rain doesn't come until you make a choice. And God's people in this situation, the rain does not fall until they choose. They don't choose. If they don't choose, the rain doesn't come. And so, you know, I just want to share, you know, with you a, a story that I had. For me, I was, I was presented with this question, the same question. And I've been on staff at a church locally here in Southern California for something like 10 years. And I was transitioning off staff and uh, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I was in the wavering. I was stuck in the wavering, trying to figure out what God wanted me to do. And for me, my wavering is I get caught up in the details. So I had heard God say, Matt, I want you to go build churches in Europe. And so I was like, in the wavering, I'm like, well, how is that going to really work? Like, I can't move to Europe. Bianca doesn't want to go to Europe. I got kids, you know, all this stuff. I don't have money to do this. Like, how is this going to work? And I sit right here knowing that God said, go that way. And I sit in the wavering because I can't figure it out. And so my faith was defined by what I could see, not by what I couldn't see. See, if you can see it, you don't need faith. You can, if, you, if you can't see it and God is calling you to step into it, that's where faith is required. And so for me, it didn't make sense. It didn't make sense. I couldn't figure it out. And so I sat in the wavering. Let me tell you what happened. I went to a worship service in London a few months after this for Hillsong Conference. In the middle of the worship service, God said this. He asked me this question. Do you believe that I am God? Do you believe I'm the God of the universe? Now, as a pastor, I'm like, you know, I'm, it's, you're kind of stuck, right? So like in my mind, it goes to like this decision matrix. You know, I'm like kind of going, well, if I say no, totally screwed. Okay, <laughs> if I say maybe, well, that causes some problems. So my only option to answer this question that God is speaking about is yes. Yes, I believe you're God. And he goes, then go to Europe. And I had a choice right at that moment to step into and make a choice. And here's what happened. The minute I chose to do that, I went to Bianca. I shared this with her. And amazing, she's like a woman of faith. And, and she goes, well, if God told you, just go do it. I'm like, really? Okay, this is awesome, you know? And so I looked at her savings. I said, hey, we're going to book, like, you know, I can, I can be in Europe four times this year, and I'll pick these conferences, and I can help these churches, and this is what I'm going to do. The minute I chose that, less than two weeks later, at this time, I had no job. I had no income. Less than two weeks later, I had two jobs, 110% of my income. One job paid for three out of the four trips that I'd already booked. The other job said, I'm going to send you to Europe five more times. But let me just tell you this. The rain doesn't fall until you choose. You've got to choose. You cannot sit in the waiver. You can't sit in the waiver. You've got to choose. Are you going to choose God or are you going to choose these other religions? And for me, I had to choose. And here's what the thing is, is that you have to choose. And I don't know what that looks like for you, but I know that God's people had to choose before the rain fell. And with God's people, the Israelites especially, they were really wrestling between these two gods. And you had the God of Baal on one side. And let me just tell you a little bit about him, or I don't know, it could be her, or person, whatever it is, right? You know? And so this was the God of fertility. And, and so he was the, the God of the rain. He was the God of making crops grow. And so when the people came into the promised land and they saw all these amazing uh, giant grapes and milk and honey, they're like, how do we get that? And it was so easy to go, well, this is what you do. You worship this God. And so easily because of something they wanted, they went astray. 
and they stepped into wanting these other things. And so for them, you know, it seems crazy for us to go, well, that God is, you know, that's a fake God. It doesn't really exist. And so how could you get stuck wavering between two gods? And I was, as I was studying for this, I was just reminded how easy it is for us to get stuck between two gods. And maybe it's not the gods of, you know, religion, but there's all these small gods that we worship. Things like money, things like status, things like influence, things like pleasure and sex. We, you know, all these things we can worship. And what he's saying and inviting us into in this whole thing is, let me, let me help you understand. When he says choose, he's talking about which, which one are you going to worship? Which God are you going to worship? And worship is when you assign value to something. See, we, we, at TFHOC, we love to worship. And we worship and we raise our hands. And we raise our hands because we're assigning value to God. We're saying, God, you are Lord. I am not. I am in your presence. I want to worship you. And when we do that, guess what happens? When we worship, when we assign value to God, our our decisions change. Our lifestyle change. We start giving not because of obligation, but we give because of, man, God, you rescued me out of my situation. And I'm just thankful that I'm here. This is amazing. And so it shifts everything. And I remember... Even the first time I said yes to Jesus. And I put so much worth on God. I was like, God, I was like everybody, I, was, I would run to you. Man, have you heard about this, Jesus? He saves you. He said, it's amazing. Look at all the things he did for you. Promised. And I was just running. I was telling people. I was volunteering for the church. I was tithing. I was reading my Bible. It's really easy to sign worth just after you say yes to Jesus. But the enemy is so crafty. And over time, these things just seep in. And we start assigning value to all these other little gods. And we start to say, this is valuable. And money is valuable. And success is valuable. And this relationship is valuable. And all of a sudden, God finds himself not first, but he finds himself several levels down. And and let me, you know, I was was thinking about this. And um, let me give you a few questions to think about so that you can help understand what you're assigning value to. Because I think it's a little bit easy. And here's, here's a couple questions just to think about. The first one is this. What are you thinking about? What, are you th- what, what fills your thoughts? What, what do you think about late at night? Is it thinking about pursuing God's purpose or is it thinking about other things? Now, we've got all kinds of stuff I know in our life, but that's a great question. What are you thinking about? Here's another one. Uh, uh, what do you make time for in your schedule? Because where you spend your time, that's where you place value. You do not do things unless you value them. And if you value whatever it means to serve God, then you will make time for that. You want another one? How do you use your resources? If you value something, you're going to spend resources on it. And so you think about these questions. And man, Jesus says this in Luke 12, 34. He says this, where your treasure is, your heart is also. And see, what you place value on, where you place value is where your heart is. What consumes your time, what consumes your, your resources has your heart. And here's the thing about God. He's a jealous God and he wants your heart. And I don't know if you know this today and I want you to write this down. Your heart, my heart, is God's most valuable possession. And he will do whatever it takes to get your heart back. That's what kind of God he is. And so the question he asks is how long are you going to waver? How long are you going to waver between two gods? Either I'm God or these other things are going to be God's. And he says, how long are you going to waver? Now, we start talking about this situation and stepping into, as I mentioned before, the great 
underdog stories is really this idea of what do you believe in? And you have to believe in something and you have to desire that outcome. And this was a situation going back to the story in, in 1 Kings 18 with Elijah. Is Elijah believed in something. See, Elijah believed that God was good. Elijah believed that God was going to provide. Elijah believed that he was faithful. Uh, Elijah believed that God had a plan. And so he believes this, and he knows the outcome is not just beating Ahab and Jezebel. The outcome is he wants to win God's heart for his people back. And so he's, he knows this. He believes this. He has an outcome for this. And the question that Elijah is really asking his people is he's saying this. What do you believe in? What do you believe in? Do you believe in God's goodness? Do you believe that your heart is God's most valuable possession? Do you believe in his faithfulness? Do you believe that he's chasing after you? Do you believe that he wants to provide all your needs? Because if you do, it should change the way you live your life. And you get out of that wavering and you step into what God has for you. Now, here's the thing is that we're, I think as people, and even the Israelites did this, is that we are forgetful people. We forget God's goodness. It's so easy to look at the situation we're in now and realize that God has been providing all along. And my guess is it's if you went back and looked at your story and said, God hasn't been active, but you start to look at your story, you start to see the places that God was providing, you just couldn't see it. And the Israelites, man, it's crazy, even with their story and their goodness, they can't even tell their story without totally understand, without talking about God's goodness, but they forget. And, and, and here's what I would just want to share with you is, as Elijah is getting ready to pray his offering. And so the contest is going on and you've got Elijah over here, old guy, and you've got 850 prophets over here, prophets of Baal over here. And so he's going in this contest and he comes up with this idea. This was his idea. It's, it's, I think it's just fun. And he says, I'm going to build an altar. You're going to build an altar. We're going to put a sacrifice on the altar in whichever God has fire rained down and consumes the offering. That's the real God. That's the one true God. And so he creates this contest. And so what happens is the people, the, the prophets of Baal, is they're, they're trying, he goes, you guys go first. And he goes, they're trying for hours. And they're doing things like, you know, rain dance. And they're trying to go around and they start cutting themselves. They start doing all kinds of things. Hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. And Elijah's just sitting there going like this. Really? Really? How long is this going to take? And he even starts to taunt him. He even starts, he starts to go, hey, uh, I, I see your God's not here. Maybe your God is on the toilet. I don't know. Like maybe he's, where is he? You know, and he starts to taunt him. And this is what he prays. And I just want you to see this right now. God's goodness for you. First Kings 18, 36 to 37. At the time of the sacrifice, now Elijah's getting ready to go. The prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that the people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Do you see God's passion for you? Do you see that wherever you might be at, God is running after you with everything he's got. He wants the hearts of his people to come back to him. And I just, you know, I'm reminded in this story of just, uh, you know, whatever your story is and whatever you're at in life is that God is a God who is going to redeem. And if he did it back then, he's going to do it today. And if he did it for them, he's going to do it for you. Because here's the thing is that God is, you know, it says in Romans, Paul says this, that while you were still jacked up, while you were not perfect, while you were messed up, God sent his son to die on the cross for you in that situation. And there is nothing that can separate you from God's love. Nothing. That's how good God is. But we forget 
God's goodness. The other thing we need to do as we're talking about stepping into this is that we have to believe that this is possible. And the other thing we have to do is we have to believe or we have to desire the outcome. Now, I want to talk about that outcome really quick because uh, Elijah had a different outcome than the people had. See, the people thought that they could waver and that they could be in both worlds. They could worship the God of Baal on Monday through Friday, and they could go to church on Sunday. They could be in between this thing, and they could go over here and go, I'm going to worship the God because I need my crops and fertility and babies and all kinds of stuff, and I'm going to go over here and go to the temple and do this. And they thought they could run back and forth. But what they found is that they were wavering in the middle. And here's what happens. As Elijah does this offering and he does this prayer, and here's what happened is that God sends fire down. And in 1 Kings 18, 38, it says this. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. And God is faithful. God is going to show up. God wants to reveal himself to you in a powerful way. And he's going to do whatever it takes for you to see it. And here's the thing, these people, the Israelites, and I think this is for us too, is that we often find ourselves wanting our cake and eating it too. We want the both end. We want, we want, to, we want to go out on the, on the Friday night and do whatever we want, and then we want to come to church and feel good and then go back and do this again, and we get stuck and we get in this thing, and we're trying to be on crutches, and we're trying to move back and forth over time, and we're just getting tired, and we're getting worn out, and we're trying to do this. And man, you know what? God is saying, how long are you going to do that? How long are you going to waver? And here's what happened. Is, uh, this isn't something that was new. This was something that uh, their great, 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 great grandfather Joshua had warned them about uh, when they entered the promised land. He said, you're going to have to make a choice. Here's the God of the universe, and you're going to have to make a choice because you're going to enter into this land, and there's going to be all kinds of gods that are going to try to cause you to worship them. And not only that, it's the same God, Baal, that he warned them about back then that they're struggling with today. And in Joshua 24, 15, it says this, uh, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, this is Joshua talking to his people, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. And Joshua says this, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. We are going to choose God. And what happens when the fire comes down, and I want you to see this moment right now, because when the fire comes down in 1 Kings 18, 39, the people chose. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and they cried, God, you are God. You are Lord. I want to stop wavering. I don't want to be in the middle anymore. We are convinced of your goodness. Lord, we love you unconditionally. And it's then and only then that God sends rain. See, they had to make a choice for God to send rain. And you, I don't know where you're at in this situation for you, but I believe that God, he wants so much for you that whatever situation you're in, he wants to pour down rain, but you're gonna have to make a choice to choose him. And you might say, for example, you know what? Uh, you want a loved one to know, to, to know Jesus, to, know, to come to church. You're going to have to be the one that shares your faith with them. You can't wait for somebody else to do it. You know, you want to get free, and you're going to have the one that has to start to manage your finances differently. You're going to have to make a choice between this situation. And God is saying, how long are you going to waver? I want you to choose me. How long are you going to waver? And yet we see in this situation that 
these little gods that we start to worship, they kind of mess with us and they start to take us out. And I would hate for these little gods that have no power and money and pleasure and status and influence to be the thing that prevents you and your children and your children's children from stepping into God's purpose for your life. But you're gonna have to choose. You're gonna have to choose whom you're gonna serve. And right now, I just, man, I just, I, I feel like wherever you're at right now that we wanna create a moment for you to have that option to choose. And you might be in your living room, you might be in your kitchen, you might be, uh, you know, uh, watching in your car, pull over if you're gonna be in this part. But here's what I wanna invite you into. God is saying, how long are you gonna waver? And if you've never made the decision for Jesus in your life, I wanna invite you to make this decision. And by making this decision, it's the greatest decision that you could ever make. God is saying, I want to step into, I wanna have rain pour out in your life. I want to love you unconditionally. I want you to be my chosen people. I want you to see my goodness. I want you to step into my promises. I want to redeem your life. I want to restore your relationships. I wanna see you set free. I, you, this, yeah, there's so much I have for you if you just choose me. And I wanna invite you into that moment right now. And if that's, that's you, you've never had that relationship or maybe, maybe uh, you, you had a relationship, but you've fallen away. You've fallen away from the church and you forgot about the church. You forgot about Jesus and you kind of have gone your own way and you're stuck in that wavering. Maybe that's you. And Jesus in this moment is saying, I want you to come back. I'm after your heart. And so I wanna invite you in this moment, wherever you might be, is I'm just gonna count to three. And I'm just gonna invite you to say yes to Jesus. The greatest decision you can ever make. In the chat box, there's gonna be a link that you can click on if you made that decision. There's a team that wants to walk with you and just help you uh, step into this so that you can get out of the wavering and step into what God has for you. By doing this, one, man, you are saying that God, you, you are the God of the universe and I am messed up and I need you. Two, you're inviting the Holy Spirit into your life. And three, you're saying, God, I choose you. And so wherever you're at, just go ahead and respond. One, two, three. And I'm believing in this moment that wherever you're at, that people are making the best decision of their life. That hands are going up, that people are saying yes, and they're stepping into what God has for them. Let me pray for us in this moment and we can continue to worship. Lord, we thank you for pursuing us. Lord, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for sending your son to die for us. Lord, we thank you that you are relentless in that. We thank you that you are a God who provides. We thank you that you are a God who loves every single one of us. Lord, we thank you. And we just confess that we are broken. We're not perfect. But you love us unconditionally. Lord, we thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.